unpopular opinions. I have several, but I'll narrow it down to just food. My first unpopular opinion is chocolate is, is gross. Thank you. It's, it's, yeah, I know. That's okay. Also, seaweed is gross. I just can't handle seaweed. My family eats those little seaweed crisps or whatever they're called, those little paper thin pass every time. And then lastly, my third, black licorice is amazing. Anybody else? Woo, yes. <laughs> that one might be a little more unpopular than the first one. Well, thanks for being here. My name's Eric. I'm one of the elders here. I get the privilege of uh, speaking today and, and uh, pretty often, and I just love this church, and I love bringing, I love this church because we can bring our spiritual gifts to serve here, to serve others, and everybody has a different gift mix, and I love that we can, uh, there's space for everybody to come and do what they're good at and to learn new skills and uh, just serve Jesus in this way. Let's say a quick prayer, and then we'll jump in this morning. Lord, we thank you for this time at the beach. You have never let us down. As we go forward and uh, think ahead of changing locations for Easter, for summer, Lord, we just ask you to continue to provide for us in the way that you have for the last almost three years. You have been faithful every week. We don't have any reason to doubt you going forward. Lord, would you help, help us to stay patient and to, to listen to you well as, as uh, we transition into the really exciting Easter weekend coming up. Lord, would you just continue to build our trust in you in uh, revealing what you have for us today through Luke. Lord, as we continue to study this series, may we get to know your son, Jesus, more and more. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. So we're going to continue our series today. We are taking the last, what, year or more, and we're, we're doing this series called Hello, My Name is Jesus. And it's a reintroduction or an introduction to Jesus, the biblical Jesus. Today we're going to be in Luke 15. But when we read scripture, what we see often is that some people, it's a mixed bag. Some people follow Jesus and some people don't. Some people believe he is who he says he is, and some people don't. It actually reflects our culture today. Some people follow Jesus, but for the wrong reasons. Some people following Jesus at a distance, and some are up close. It's a mixed bag. But what we see when we read Luke 15, where it's where we're going to be at today, we see that Jesus also had an unpopular opinion. And that's where I'm going to start today. Jesus' unpopular opinion, and he had several, can be found in John 10.30, which we're going to follow up in Luke 15. But just bear with me here. John 10.30, it says this. It's pretty simple. It says, the Father and I, and Jesus is speaking of himself here, the Father and I are one. And the people hearing this, I'm sure that ruffled their feathers. He says that the Father and I are one. Now, by one, we don't think that this meant that Jesus is the same person as God the Father. We, we, our Christian theology says that we believe in the triune God, three in one, or one in three. We believe that God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit are three separate persons, but they are of the same substance. They are one. 
Now, if you back up a few, a few verses before John 25, Jesus explains. He says, I have already told you, John 10, 25, I have already told you and you don't believe me. The proof is the work I do in my Father's name. And then verse 30 says, the Father and I are one. Why are we starting here today? Like, how does this affect us practically? How does this change our lives today? Here's what I want you to hear as we get started this morning. I believe, we believe, that when you observe the behavior of Jesus Christ, you observe the heart of God in action. See, this is what I want you to catch as we get started this morning, that when you see God the Father act, you see the heart of Jesus. It's interchangeable. They are one. They are the same substance. When you see Jesus walk around and interact with people, you are seeing God's will be done. That's how it works, because they are one. When you see how Jesus treats people, you're seeing how God treats people. Now, John 14, 10, and 11 proves this point. Jesus says, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. I love this. When you see the heart of Jesus, you are seeing the heart of God. When you see the heart of Jesus, you are seeing the heart of God. And I want us to go back. Let's rewind the story even more, all the way back to Genesis 16. And it seems like an interesting place to start, but I promise it connects. And it's even going to set the context for us to start Luke 15, to hear it with fresh ears, to see it in the original meaning. All the way back, Genesis 16. This is the strange and sometimes... Uh, maybe not sometimes, maybe all the time, awkward story of Abram, Sarai, and Hagar. You may know them as Abraham, Sarah, and Hagar. Genesis 16, we're going to read about uh, 12 verses or so. Hang with me here. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarai said to Abram, prepare yourself. This is a different culture, a different time. Hang in there. So Sarai said to Abram, the Lord has prevented me from having children. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarai's proposal. So, verse 3, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. Verse 4, Hagar became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarai, with contempt. Then Sarai said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms, but now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord will show who's wrong with you or me. The story gets worse. Abram replied, look, she is your servant, so deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. And as she's running, the angel of the Lord found Hagar beside a spring water, a spring of water in the wilderness. The angel said to her, Hagar, Sarai's servant, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, she, she replied. An angel of the Lord, which often represents the presence of God and the, the messenger, the speaker of God, says this, return to your mistress and submit to her authority. And then he added, I will give you more descendants than you can count. The angel also said, you are now pregnant and will give birth to a son. You are to name him Ishmael, which means God hears. For the Lord has heard your cry of distress. 
Verse 13, we'll end here. Therefore, Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord. And here's our highlight. Hagar used another name to refer to the Lord who had spoken to her. And she said, you are the God who sees me. Now, this story is so outside of our cultural norms that it comes off as unusual, bizarre even. And, and this would take a whole sermon in and of itself to unwind this and put it into context and deep dive into the meaning. So if you want to do that, spend hours talking about the cultural significance of the story, that's fine. Go ahead and email me at uh, pastortaka at voice.church. I'll be happy to respond within the hour. But what I want you to take away for today is this. This person, Hagar, who is the star of our story, at least to start here, this person, Hagar, believed that she was on her own. She had been faithful, and now she finds herself put out in the cold. And it's in that time where she finds herself lost and distant and isolated and alone that she declares, and maybe God declares about himself, something beautiful. She finds something to be true about God, and it's this. God is the one who sees me. If you translate this into Hebrew, it's uh, El Roy or El Roy. It's this name for God that she declares. She's the only one that says this name, that God is the God who sees me. And then God names her child Ishmael, and he names Ishmael, which means God hears me. So the lost and the burdened and the mistreated knows God as the God who sees, the God who hears me. Now remember, when we see the heart of God the Father, we see the heart of Jesus, his son. And that's where we transition into Luke 15, our main scripture for today. If you want to uh, get there in your uh, Bible app or, or Bible, Luke 15 is this chapter where it seems like the same story is told three times. We have uh, three different versions of someone or something that is lost. And I love that this entire chapter seems like it's the same story over and over and over with small differences. And I love this because it's, it's like screaming at us, like, don't miss this. Don't miss this. See, in ancient languages, the languages that the Bible was originally written in, they didn't have punctuation the way that our English language does today. We can italicize, underline, capitalize, and we can highlight things that we want to stand out. But if they wanted to emphasize something back in these days, they repeated it over and over and over. They want you to get how important this is. See, remember, when we see Jesus the Son, we see the God who hears, the God who sees. And now Jesus, I love this, Luke 15, verses 1 and 2, it's going to set the context, and specifically it's going to set the audience for who is listening, who is here. It says this, tax collectors and other notorious sinners. Wow. This should jump off the page often came to listen to Jesus. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even oh, eating with them. No way. See, back in those days, 
it was considered ritually unclean to have a meal with a notorious sinner, like a tax collector. And I just love that these people are missing the point because Jesus is, remember, this is the God who sees. This is the God who hears those who are lost, those who are alone, those who are mistreated. And so they thought it was unusual for Jesus to be here with these people. But we know this is exactly who God is. I love that. Verse 3. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go and search for the one that is lost until he finds it? Verse 5. And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And right away from this story, we see that the story isn't focused on the 99. Did you catch that? The story is not focused on the 99 who stayed. It's on the one who's lost. And it's also on the shepherd in the story. Now, there's a little bit of a difference of opinion here. But most of the time, when shepherds are referred to in Scripture, it's, they're not thought of highly. Shepherds, most of the time, were hired hands. That means that they did not own the sheep. So if you went out and you lived with sheep and you ate with sheep and you were dirty with the sheep and you smelled like sheep by the end of the trip and you literally wandered the wilderness taking care of somebody else's sheep and you started with 100 and then like a week later you came back with 99, I, what I read into this is you would say, wow, 99 out of 100 is really good. I'm a school teacher. 99 out of 100 is, a, is an A. In fact, it's a really strong A. Like, you'd be high-fiving other shepherds. 99 out of 100, whoo, good job. But this shepherd sees the flock differently. This story is told from the perspective of Jesus. We call him our good shepherd. Also, from, from Genesis, he is the God who sees. And he looks at the flock and he notices that there is one sheep missing. I love that. He didn't just notice that they're gone either. He goes and he searches and he finds that lost sheep. And he puts, him, puts that sheep on his back, on his shoulders, and he walks them back to the flock. And he exposes that God's mission has been from the beginning to seek the lost sheep of Israel, to seek the lost sheep of the world. And if you're listening this morning, what I want you to hear is that God notices when you're gone. Whether you're online at home, in your pajamas, driving, whether you're here with us, God notices when you're not there. He notices. He sees you and he hears you. And his purpose that Jesus was living out was as a shepherd coming in search of you. I love that. 
He wants to say it. He wants this to be so clear that he says it again in the parable of the lost coin. The next couple verses, Luke 15, verse 8, 9, and 10. He says, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? Saying like, of course she will. And when she finds it, she will call her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. These coins are represent about a day's wage. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. And this subtle difference in the second story is that Jesus makes it clear that the thing that is lost is extremely valuable. God notices when you're gone because you are extremely valuable to him. I love it. And maybe what you need to hear from this story is that God experiences joy when someone is found. These stories are so clear to point out that the shepherd, that the woman finding the coin is overjoyed. Rejoice with me, they say, because I have found my lost sheep. I have found my lost coin. We talk about this a lot, but uh, these, some of these stories are so impactful that I just come back to them over and over and over again. My wife, Arielle, and I, before kids, spent a year in East Africa doing missions. And we were in uh, Uganda, and the main city there uh, is Kampala, and it's enormous. It's enormous. And so there are often times when we were traveling that we would have to go to Kampala to, to get, uh, uh, get on a bus or to use a taxi to get from one place to the other. And so this story takes place in the streets of Kampala, and we were each on a motorcycle taxi, which was the first mistake, with our luggage on our back, and I remember watching her, keeping her in front. We're in the middle of East Africa, no cell phones. Something happens. There's no ambulance to call. It's a different world. And I remember getting into the city, and the roads go from dirt to paved. And all of a sudden, we start hearing this roar. Imagine that you're at a sporting event. Like, Remember, like, when we used to go to things, like events and concerts and stuff? So uh, there's a bunch of people together. And what we learned at that time was that this was an election year in Uganda, which was a pretty dangerous time. And there was a crowd of people in support of their candidate. And we rolled up to this crowd. And there were so many people that the motorcycle, the guy riding a motorcycle, literally just turned off the bike. And we were just walking the motorcycle. I was on the back, he was in the front, RL's next to me. And we were just walking with the crowd because there's no way you could ride so many people in the streets. And as we were going, we started to drift away from each other. Until at one point, I remember looking over and she was gone. Totally gone. Again, no cell phones no way to call, no one to call. And I remember for the first time, I, I preach this another way to say, this was one of the first times in my life that I really learned how to pray. I was desperate. And I remember the crisis, the panic, that there is no way for me to find this person. This loved one of mine is, is gone. And so what happened is the story continues, and we had planned to meet back at this bus depot. 
And we thank God the missionaries that set us up had said, if you ever get, if you ever get uh, separated, just go to the place that you had intended to go, make it there. Ariel, you stay, and Eric is going to be the one that goes around and searches for her. And so that's what we did. And I remember the feeling of, of, of finding her. And this crisis and this panic and this deep sense of, of fear was replaced with joy. Oh, yes. I, f I found it. I found her. And as I read this story, I can imagine Jesus saying over this story over and over and over. I think this is a little insight to how God feels about the lost. I think this is a little bit about how, shows us how God feels when his kids are lost. And how joyful he is when he finds them again and we become reunited with him again. Luke 15, 7, just to reemphasize this, says, in the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. And having lived through that story, I know that that's true. But what's not simple about the story is we're not talking about sheep and we're not talking about coins. We're talking about people. And this word, repent and return, in Greek, literally means to change your mind. Literally means to change your mind. See, in this story, the shepherd and the sheep, the shepherd goes to the sheep and picks up the sheep and, like, throws the sheep over his shoulder and walks off. Like that screaming toddler in Walmart, you know, just walks him down and walks him straight back to the flock. They're kicking and screaming or whatever. See, but in real life, God doesn't do that. He doesn't force anything on you. Why? He, he respects you. And he's never going to overstep. He's never going to take free will, your, your opportunity to choose. He's never going to take that from you. He's going to give you the opportunity to change your mind, to repent. And most likely, this is not a one-time thing. Most likely, this is a daily thing where you change your mind, you change your mind, and you come back from being lost over and over and over. This book has, has helped me to understand something about our brain that I didn't know when I was uh, coming up in college and, and a, as a young adult. It's called Switch on Your Brain by Dr. Caroline Leaf. She's a Christian neuroscientist. And this book is, is fantastic. Basically, what she says is that your brain is plastic, meaning your brain is moldable. Meaning your thoughts are physical, real chemical reactions in your brain. So as you think positive thoughts, you, be, you create a positive pathway in your brain, and it leads to healthy actions and emotions and relationships. But on the flip side, you can also choose to have negative pathways in your brain. Toxic stress, bad decisions. See, and I think what this verse, this story is emphasizing is that we have the opportunity to change our mind continuously and come back to God and get into that healthy pathway in our brain. Romans 12, too, I think has this in mind. 
says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person. How? By changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. Voice Church, whether you're watching online or you're here today with us, let me ask you a question. I don't want you to answer out loud, but I want you to be honest. How much do you trust God today? Like if you're going to give yourself a score, 10 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, how would you rate yourself? How much do you trust God? And I don't mean with the small stuff, with the trivial things. I mean with the stuff that matters the most to you. How much do you trust God today? Today, what I'm hoping for is that you wouldn't go from 0 to 10 as much as I would want to take you one step further, from 5 to 6, to, from 7 to 8, to move one step closer into putting your trust in God. If you find yourself to be lost today, I want to give you a couple things as we close up some practical things that we can do to change our mind, to repent and come back to him. There's four things that I want you to remember as we close. Number one is to admit that you're lost. If you're taking notes, this is a great place to start. It's just to admit that you're lost. Confess, I messed up again. I took a wrong turn. I don't know how I ended up here, but I'm here. I admit, Lord, that I'm lost and I need your help. I can't believe I found myself here again, but here I am. And then once you admit that you're lost, maybe a confession. Maybe you ask for some help. Maybe you've copied the behavior and customs of this world. One, 1 John 1, 1.9 will help us out. It says this, But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unwickedness. Just admit that you're lost, confess it, and he is right there to forgive you. Because what happens in the story is not the shepherd goes to the sheep, and, and the shepherd doesn't say, like, come on, man. This is like the seventh time today I've had to find you. He doesn't, like, guilt trip him. He just picks that dumb sheep up and takes him back again. First, admit that you're lost. Be honest. Confess your sin. Ask for forgiveness. And number two, ask for directions. So admit that you're lost. Number two, ask for directions. Change your mind. Repent. Receive that forgiveness, okay? And this is where we meet our good shepherd. Jesus is called the good shepherd. He knows the way back. I love this. And he's going to meet us. He promises to meet us right where we are to show us the way back from being lost. John 10, 3 and 4 says this, the gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep recognize his voice and come to him. He calls his own sheep by name. This is Jesus speaking and leads them out. After he has gathered his own flock, and here's my emphasis, he walks ahead of them. And they follow him because they know his voice. God is going to lead you back to him. The Holy Spirit helps us with that. The spoken and the written word helps us with that. God will always give you the, the way back if we ask. So admit. Admit that you're lost. Number two, ask for directions. And then three, 
What's going to happen next is God's going to announce his will. Announce his will. See, I think this is where this book fits in. Because God's going to reveal the way to do things different. He wants you to change your mind, to stay in that positive pathway. But it's going to take some work. This is where we need to let our thoughts dwell on God's will. Let our thoughts dwell on him. Do you guys find yourself in a place in your life where it's just straight up hard to focus? I feel like with media and screens, and I'm a teacher with like 100 kids and family, and then I just find myself fighting to stay focused on the most important things. And I think this is the strength. This is the, the effort that God wants from us. He wants us to create this new pathway, to practice it, to dwell on it. And this is where Scripture is so helpful because God's will, God's voice, is never going to contradict God's word. It's always going to line up. Reading Scripture is a great way to hear God announce his will. Romans 12, 2, we just read it, says, Then you will learn to know God's will. He's going to announce the path. He's going to tell you how to get there. And then step four, starts with A, is simply to act on it. Simply just act on it. You've admitted that you're lost. You've asked for directions. God has announced his will. And then finally, you act on it. And hopefully, this is a cycle that just repeats over and over and over. And in this way, don't miss this, you have given your heavenly Father Another reason to experience this joy that the shepherd has, that this woman who finds the coin has. So let me close with this. I think in our life we have the opportunity to choose. Like if, if you take this and you fill up this empty vessel with all of your energy, all of your thoughts, all of the, the space that you have in your life to move forward, and you have, let's say it's full of water. And you have this tree over here. And this tree is going to sprout fruit. Fruit, And the more you water this, the more it's going to fruit. And you have a similar tree on the other side. The more you water that, the more it's going to fruit. What I want to challenge you today is you only get to empty this vessel out once. You have to choose which side you invest in. Are you putting your life in God's hands in a way that people could look at you and say, wow, they trust God. Wow. Or are you investing in the wrong tree that is producing the wrong fruit in your life that's selfish, short-sighted? It leads down that pathway that our brain just doesn't function well. Or are we choosing this other path? And we're choosing whatever effort we have, whatever resources we have in life, to send them God's way. See, we have to choose. And I think how we choose between which direction, which, which tree we feed, comes down to this question, and this is what I'm going to end with. How much do you trust God today? And all we have to do is be willing to take one step forward. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would jump over all the barriers that we've set up in our life, whether it's a cultural invasion of our heart and mind or it's wounds from the past or we just aren't really 
interested in hearing you today. I, th I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would jump over those so that we could hear you clearly. And what I want you, Holy Spirit, to do is convince me, to convince us, to convince those who are listening that you are worthy to be trusted today. Jesus is called the good shepherd because he loves his sheep and he seeks them out and he finds them and he leads them towards the path of life. Lord, if we find ourselves lost today, would we take these four steps? God, would you show us how to fill these up, fill these out in our life to, to follow them? These, simply to admit that we're lost, to ask for directions. God, for you to announce your will and then for us to act. And in this way, we don't stay lost. Our good shepherd gets to experience that joy of finding one of his sheep over and over and over. As we sing this last song together, Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just reach into our hearts and minds and get a hold of us today. In Jesus' name, and we all say, amen.